Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast episode. Now before we get into this, I need to do a quick bit of promo work please, because over the next couple of months we're going to be struggling financially with the Something to Say organisation. We've just looked at the accounts and we do need your support. There are two ways which you can support, and that is by buying the merchandise where if you're watching this on YouTube you can see me wearing it here, and also we have a Patreon page where you can get exclusive membership access. Please go to Something to Say official to support there. But if you'd rather just make a one-off donation or support monthly, you can go to jeremyindica.com and do that there too. Now, if you're following this work, you know that we are putting out lots of content and I have a team of people. We work very hard on all of this to break down the stigma and the silence that surrounds it. So please do support us. Thank you. Okay, so after my last podcast that I released, which was titled, Has Teen Porn Taken It Too Far? I just want to do something which has an element of encouragement and strength to it. Because I don't know whether you checked out that podcast episode, but you would have heard me talk throughout it saying that I just literally couldn't take anymore. It completely zapped the life out of me. I couldn't watch another moment of it. And after re-watching it, after I'd released it, I think it was three or four weeks ago now, I still feel like that about that. So I just want to turn things on its head just for a little while. So I've decided to go to Soft White Underbelly's YouTube channel. If you've been following this podcast for some time, you'll know that I have reviewed quite a few of their videos. Um, This guy does phenomenal work telling true stories or allowing people to tell true stories. And I selected one which has a title about sexual abuse survivor. I quickly read through the comments on that particular video tens of thousands of people have commented saying that it's a really inspirational story and uh, really um, sending praise to, to this uh, to this woman that's that's speaking so let's see what it's about let's see if we can get a bit of encouragement back into this podcast and let's go for it <laughs> all right Marisol yes Marisol oh where are you from where'd you, where'd you grow up originally um I was born in Waukegan, Illinois, but I was raised in North Chicago. So northern suburbs of Illinois. Chicago. Yes. And so tell me how you grew up. You had, you had both your parents when you were a kid? Uh, yeah. Um, but my mom and dad didn't have the best relationship. So they separated when I was eight. And um, I am one of seven siblings. I'm number six. And they, my siblings were pretty pretty sad about the fact that my mom wasn't around, but I was actually, uh, I was actually glad she wasn't around because she was like physically abusive to me. Um, I don't think I have one memory of having like a regular childhood where there wasn't any kind of violence. Um, She, Like, for example, I remember being four years old and I had an accident. I peed on myself in my sleep and she came into the room and she's like, what's that smell? And I remember her picking me up and taking me to the bathroom, taking all of my clothes off and turning the cold water and putting me in the tub. And while the cold water was hitting my body, uh, she was spanking me. And 
she was saying she was speaking at the moment, but I I couldn't hear her over the cold just rushing through my body and and the pain that my body was feeling from her hitting me. Or another moment where my grandmother used to watch us when we were kids, when my parents used to go to work. And um, I remember being like five or six and I was playing with the neighborhood uh, children and my grandmother must have said something to my mom. Maybe I did something wrong that day. Who knows? I don't remember. But she came out of nowhere with uh, a tree branch. And I just instantly felt like a burn on the side of my body. And I looked up and it was her and she was like yelling, what did I tell you? And I had no clue what she was talking about. And she just continued to beat me um, from one side of the street to the other. And all of the kids were watching and I just felt so embarrassed. Shall I tell you something? Um, I often think about how every single thing that happens in your childhood shapes or, or uh, directs your personality and um, the levels of sadness you feel as an adult. Look how she's talking about these two moments um, when she was four or five and around six and she just remembers them. But it's not like she remembers every single detail of them. She just remembers like the feeling of what what it felt like, the sadness, the embarrassment, the confusion. Um, you know, what do you think when we look at kids we think that they're not that they're stupid but they're 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 not conscious of their environment Uh, they never remember anything they won't remember any of this um um they 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 you know they're they're dumb in some way it's not the case is it because everyone that's watching this or listening on your podcast app we all remember some early memories of our life that um I'm not saying we're necessarily abusive, but um, made you feel very uncomfortable, made you feel very sad, made you feel very confused. Um, coming from a personal personal perspective, I remember when my parents divorced, it was very, very confusing. The world seemed weird at that time. Um, I'm pretty sure lots of people can relate uh, to that. It's actually a really good example because when we now, now that we're adults and we see um, couples around us in our lives that are separating and, and there's a conversation about what's going to happen to the children, and I've heard many times people pass the comment of, oh, that they'll start to understand it or 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 it will be okay for them or they'll they'll learn how to adapt and as as if like just these general situations that are us adults are creating don't affect children in any way um children are absorbing everything um, young people even young teenagers they're absorbing everything and and this is a good example of how everything will put an impression on you it will either scar you or lift you up that happens in your childhood. So the abuse was for you or for all the all your siblings? Uh, it was mostly just me and my older sister. I never seen her uh, use any kind of like violence towards my brothers at all. It was just me and my older sister. 
Yeah, she would beat us with like a wire hanger, um, an extension cord, you name it, whatever she could reach for. Um, so when she left, I, I was relieved, you know, I was like, maybe I'll get some sort of, some sort of peace, you know, maybe, maybe today I don't have to worry about, cause she would even beat me if I lost my socks. And, you know, I would be terrified every day, like making sure that I keep my socks together. And when she left, I was like eight years old. And I thought that that was going to be the worst of it. But I, I was wrong. Wow. Uh, so when, um, when she left, uh, my, my dad took care of all seven of us. And uh, he had to obviously work full time every day to take care of seven children. And he would come home exhausted and he would still cook for us and 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 clean the house, you know, and I know he must have been beyond distracted. My my dad is like, I have so much respect for that man. He's amazing. Um, but sadly, because he wasn't present, even if he was there physically, I don't think he was there mentally because he, my mom was the love of his life. And he was... He was depressed for a while there. So I think he was just in his own little world for, for a little while. Um, but anywho, uh, but then uh, a few months after my mom left, uh, I started getting um, sexually abused by my two oldest siblings. And my two oldest brothers and my older sister. And um, I'm eight years old, so I don't I don't know what's going on. You know, I didn't. And then my parents never talked to me about like if anyone touches you here is not a good thing or protect yourself in this way. Um, they so anyway, uh, my. So I started getting abused by my older sister first, and and it became like, it, it felt very uncomfortable for me at first. And, and then it was just happening so often that I just, I, it was like an out of body experience, like, I would drift away whenever it was happening, and then when it would stop, I would come back, and and it would be as nothing has ever, ever happened. Oh my goodness! Um, okay, two points that I want to make. Just a little bit about what she was talking about about her father first, about how her father tried was doing everything, bringing up seven siblings on his own working constantly not being able to be there present mentally of course we fully understand that going through his stages of depression due to uh, depressive episodes due to his the love of his life this 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 woman's mother leaving um but still trying to do the best job that he possibly could and she says that he she has the utmost respect for him and something i've been thinking about lots is um 
parenting, parents, people who are taking care of young people, and how I just want to shout out all parents that are trying their best in challenging moments in, in when life throws them curveballs or or shitty moments they they still try to push through as parents and and do the best for their children i have never seen any encouraging words to 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 to, to parents who are out there working trying to provide trying to trying to provide a platform for their for their children that they never got like I, i've never seen anything where they're getting shouted out I, I, i'd love to make content that encourages um encourages parents who are trying their best and as she explained her father was one of those people and then she goes on to talk about the sexual abuse which is what the title of this video suggests was her story and that it's her siblings that were doing that to her and that is um, the taboo inside the taboo, sibling sexual abuse or sibling harmful sexual behaviour which is what I learned when I brought Dr Sophie King-Hill onto my podcast, I think that was two or three episodes ago, please go check that out, she was a leading researcher, she is a leading researcher in this area of sibling sexual abuse which she taught me we now call sibling harmful sexual behavior um and it's more common than what we like to think it is so um let's see what more this story is going to bring us and then um and then my two oldest brothers started doing it and uh, that was really in, intense for me um I had no privacy because it would happen everywhere. I could be taking a shower and, you know, I, I have um, a memory of being like nine and being in the shower and being picked up and put on, on the sink and um, them proceeding to do things to me. And, uh, but it's crazy. Your mind has a weird way of protecting you from your trauma. Um, I would do things without even thinking that I was protecting myself. Like when it started happening, I slowly like would shower less. Wow. Uh, I would dress in really baggy clothes because I didn't want I guess in my mind, if I didn't look attractive, um, I would be left alone. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You feel so sad for her, right? So sad. Um, I remember uh, being... I remember always telling I have a younger sister... Uh -huh. And I would wake her up. We would share a room. And I would wake her up in the middle of the night so she can go with me to the bathroom. And I always thought, like, you know, maybe I'm just, I don't know, afraid of the dark, you know. And there would be days where she would be too upset because who wants to get up in the middle of the night, you know? And um, I would be like, can, can you go with me? And she would be too upset. So I would, I would say, okay, and I would look, watch her go back to sleep. 
and I would be sitting there um, in the middle of my room, looking around and hearing just pure silence. And, and then next thing you know, I would just be peeing myself because I was too afraid to go to the bathroom. Because um, my sibling's room was next to the bathroom. And I knew that if I would go, I could disappear for a little while. And, um, thank you. Um, And so it went on till I was 16. So it happened for eight years. Wow. Literally every single day. I didn't have, I didn't have not one day to breathe, I guess. Okay. Um, we get a bit more information now. From eight years old to 16 years old. And some people may be thinking, okay, so when it started, <clears throat> she was a very, very young child with no ability or knowledge or maturity to get herself out of that situation, to understand that situation truly, um, she mentioned she'd never been taught about the simple things that I often go on about, private areas, what to do if anybody goes near yours, what to do if anybody asks you to go near theirs. So she had no tools, no knowledge to understand the situation she was in was a dangerous one and she needed to raise the alarm bells on it. And then we hear that this was going on every day until she was 16 and it's understandable for people to wonder well as she got to 13 14 15 um and at that age you have more of a voice yeah um uh, in, in in your teenage years let's say why was she still not saying anything um why didn't she say anything to anyone she she knew it was wrong she knew it was disturbing her she knew that she didn't like it um you know she mentioned that she would uh, wet the bed through not being able to go to the toilet in the middle of the night in the fear that if she did go to the toilet her two brothers would be there why didn't she just say anything and people who do have that response um, for people that are in these circles or watch videos like this one and understand stories, understand trauma, understand the grooming process or or understand sexual abuse, abuse to any length, um, we all know that it's not as easy as that just to tell someone. There's many, many complications which um, we may hear from her of to why that was she never spoke out in in the later years of the abuse happening um but for people that are not in these circles it's actually understandable that they would wonder well, 
you know, when she got to like 15, why didn't she just say something? And this, these uh, misconceptions or these confusions that exist in the general public that I see often through doing this work, these are the types of things I want to unpick. I want to, I want to communicate this in a way that um, um, your average person that's coming across this subject um, in any depth for the first time makes them think, ah, now I understand. Now I get it. Now I get why the statistic is that it's taking 20 years for somebody to speak out about sexual abuse in their childhood. It's taking 20 years for people to come round to actually saying something for the first time. Now I understand it. Now I understand why that them as a child didn't say anything at the time. It's like, I, I know it, it feels like such a big mission, but um, if we can get the world to understand that a bit more, uh, let's start a bit smaller then. If we could just get the general public, the adult general public to understand that a bit more. First of all, they'll be a bit more sympathetic to... Um, victims and survivor stories um, and uh, they'll have a better understanding a better awareness and I think also for those that do have young children themselves if they can understand it more understand the complexities of it more understand why the child is behaving in that way in that situation more it will encourage people to have more conversations with the children in their own family and that's where we start getting to the prevention right let's continue And um, and the and again, like you do things without knowing you're doing them. You know, like I I struggled with um, the, the smallest things. Like I I'm super afraid of the dark. You know, <laughs> I need to have some sort of light somewhere. Uh, or for me, being an accomplishment is being able to sleep alone. You know, I I couldn't sleep alone for, for a very, very long time or even sleep on the outside of the bed, you know, because uh, I, uh, I would, we had bunk beds, my little sister and I, and she would sleep on the top bunk and I would beg her all the time, please sleep with me. And um, I would sleep in between the wall and her because if she was behind me they wouldn't mess with me but there, if I was on the outside of the bed um, there would be days where I would wake up and I'm on someone's shoulder and I just look back at my sister and she's sleeping and then I'll just But, it, but it's weird how, how I could go into my siblings' room and, and they would do horrific things and I would come out of the room as if nothing ever happened. Like, your mind is, it's a crazy thing the way it protects you. Uh, um, and then, uh, because I was going through so much at home, 
I began to become a really angry person. You know, hurt people hurt people. That's, I, I feel like that is so true. Uh, I went to, uh, you know, in school, and, and plus we weren't living in the best of areas. You know, we didn't, we didn't have much. We struggled a lot. Like, um, we were living off one income, which is my dad's, bless his heart. Um, and there would be moments where we didn't have electricity for a little while, or during the summer we didn't have gas and we would have to boil water to take a shower, or um, seeing rats or roaches as a normal thing, you know? Like, people would be like, oh, there, there's, they would freak out off of a rat or a roach, and I'd just, like, oh, it's whatever to me, you know? I was so used to it. And um, and we didn't, like I said, we grew up with close to nothing. You know, we lived in like two bedroom apartments and it's eight of us or um, have to share like really tiny rooms. Um, and we were always moving around. We never had a steady place. And uh, so with dealing with all of that at home, whenever I would go to school, I was just really an angry kid. And I was that kid that was always in the, like, the dean's office for fighting. Every week I was, I was violent. I was just angry. You can look at me in any weird way and I was already down your throat you know do you think that every child that is uh behaving um not in line at school has something going on or do you think it's the majority of children that are playing up at school have something going on um in their life outside of school that's making them play up like that like, what percentage do you reckon? Do you reckon it's like 100% of kids that play up or act up in school are expressing themselves because they're angry or frustrated with something that's going on outside of school, whether that be at home, even in their friendship group, or inside their mind as them as a person? Or do you think it's like 80-20, where 80% that's the case, but for 20% of kids, it's just their temperament? But I suppose also I could add in that for some young children school the school environment is very frustrating for them they don't align with that so maybe they're expressing their behavior in that way i just find this topic really interesting um uh, uh because you know um we just tell kids off don't we for not sticking to the rules um or for breaking the rules um in schools we just label them as a naughty misbehaving good for nothing child push them to the side and let's concentrate with those that are um excelling in school when um maybe it's it's so much deeper than that maybe young people are are actually kind of telling us look there's something going on in my head or my life outside of here that's making me behave this way um i think that is really interesting. And, um, or, or you could say any disrespectful thing to me. And I was already, again, like just, I, I chose violence every morning. And I think that that was my way of 
Because whenever I was in these fights, I was never mad at the person who I was fighting. I was always thinking about the things that were happening to me at home. Okay. And I would just take my anger out on them. Right. Um, and then one day, uh, I started skipping school a lot. I think it was my sophomore year. And a teacher asked me uh, what was going on. She was just checking in. And I was so fed up and so frustrated that I just wanted to be left alone. But she kept bothering me. And I didn't mean to say it out loud because I swore to myself, I'm going to take this secret to the grave. Like, no one is going to know what's happening to me at home. Because I felt so embarrassed. So much shame and disgusted. But I, I blurted out. She's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Because you're crying. Because of the way that you're crying, you have to be crying about something else. And, and I said, uh, I'm being sexually abused at home. And she stopped. And, and then I went, and then I said, uh, I'm lying, I'm lying, I'm, I'm kidding, I, I, nothing's happening. It was too late by then. Um, she, she ended up um, reporting it to the uh, principal and the principal called the cops. Okay. And, um, and then, um, a detective was in my class and they took me they took me to the police station and then they started interrogating me okay now for those that have been following me for some time you will know that in 2022 i did some work for a charity a local charity um, in my country, uh, a couple of counties across. And um, one of the things that they were fighting for was, actually, their service was that young people could come to them and speak about their sexual abuse and they wouldn't tell anyone else unless that child was still in an immediate threat or the child wanted them to. And the reason why they provided that service because they saw an error in the system. And that is that when a child comes forward about a sexual abuse situation that they've been in, or maybe even that they're currently in, teachers at schools, um, authorities in local councils, or even parents or family members will push every alarm bell that they can find Next thing you know, that night the police are at your door, you're taken to the station, you're interrogated, and that is not what that child wants right now. The child has come forward to speak or, or, or to, to, to speak to an adult because what they want to know is, what are my options? Where can I take this from here? I just need a comforting, comforting word or two. I just need some support. 
they're coming for that, like like level one. But the system is like that child's been through sexual abuse or uh, they're going through sexual abuse, get the police in. And what that's actually doing, this charity work, explaining through their research that that's actually stopping young people coming forward because they don't want all that. Maybe they're not ready to report it yet. Maybe they don't want the police involved. As I mentioned, maybe they just want a helping hand to start with. My story is um, has a, a good... Um, not comparison, but we can use my story to to help us understand that whole situation and why I believe that charity were were doing great things. Um, let me tell you the charity's name. I don't see why I, I shouldn't. Um, it's called Tope T O P. If you type in Tope in Suffolk, S U double F O L K, you're going to find them. They've got an adults charity and a charity that support young people. But for my story. My memories came back at 25, I spoke out for the first time at 27, and I reported it to the police when I was 32. You see you see the long process that that took for me to build the courage to go and report it to the police. Now, I wish I reported it earlier, don't get me wrong, but I did what I could do at that time. So, again, the charity are saying that we shouldn't be hitting all alarm bells, getting the police in immediately like it did to this woman's story. And I wonder what she's going to say about how she felt about this whole police interaction so early. And and I remember the guy saying, something is happening, look at you. And I was like, what does he mean by that? But I remember I was dirty. My hair was full of grease. My clothes probably smelled because when I was afraid to go to the bathroom and I would pee on myself, I would change. And um, I wouldn't shower in the morning because I would be too afraid to. And I would go to school like that. And um, he started asking me questions like, what is going on? And... Come on. And, and I said, I just, but I don't want them to get arrested, you know, because they were my siblings. And I obviously, they were all I knew and we didn't have my mom and we were all pretty close and I didn't know the difference back then. Back then I was just, uh, they're my brothers and I love them and I want to protect them and I don't want to, I don't want to get them in trouble. A great summary. She has just given us a great summary of why sibling sexual abuse is so complicated for the victim. She, she just summarized it so well let's let's rewind it let's rewind it because that's absolutely one of the things that dr sophie king hill explained on the podcast that i did with her um about why it's so complicated and why very few people come forward when it's sibling sexual abuse let's let's watch that again and and i said i just but i don't want them to get arrested you know because they were my siblings and i obviously they were all I knew and we didn't have my mom and we were all pretty close and 
I didn't know the difference back then. Back then I was just, uh, they're my brothers and I love them and I want to protect them and I don't want to, I don't want to get them in trouble. And, and it's not like they were bad, bad people to where people can be like, yeah, they definitely committed that crime, you know? And they were, to everyone else, they were really good people. You know, they, they helped people whenever they needed help. They helped my dad whenever he needed help. Like, they, in the daytime, they saved me from any other person that would try to disrespect me. Or they would protect me from harm in the daytime. But I would always ask myself, well, at night, who's going to protect me from them? Wow. And uh, so, so they were removed from uh, our place, from home. Um, my older sister was already out of the picture. She got pregnant when she was 16, so she moved out. Um, but they removed my, my, my uh, brothers. And... Uh, you say removed. The, the cops took, uh, they, they got arrested for a while. <clears throat> and I kind of don't want to like say where they are, just that. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Um, so, uh, but my dad didn't take it very well. And my, my two other brothers didn't take it very well either. Uh, they were mad at me. Oh my goodness. Um, my dad. Oh my goodness. I wasn't expecting that at all. When she, when she mentioned about her dad and her two brothers, I thought they didn't take it very well as in, they're so angry at the two brothers that were doing the abusing. Fuck. When they were going through the investigation process, you know, my dad was trying to convince me to lie. Oh, no. Because, I mean, I, I, I guess if I put myself in his shoes, we're both his children, right? And I can't, I mean, I don't have children, but I can't imagine how I must feel to to see both of your children hurting. But it felt like he was supporting them and I wasn't getting any support at all. Uh, so because I, I didn't lie, I told him the truth. My dad wasn't, my dad and my other siblings stopped talking to me for a while. Um, it went on like that for maybe about almost three months where I was pretty much shunned. Why does this happen? Why is a family... Why is it... This is the way I should word this. this why is it so common to hear that a family pushes away 
the person that's speaking out about sexual abuse that happened in the home in some form. What, what, what actually is it about this crime? What actually is it about this situation that causes that? You know? If we were to compare it to any other crime, let's say um, her, her two brothers were, were, were cutting her where people couldn't see or stealing from her or, I don't know, um, blackmailing her. or I'm, I'm just trying to think of other crimes where, where family wouldn't push you away for speaking out about that. But what? Why is it with this one? Is it some? Is it because it's something to do with sex? Is it? Is it because it's it's it's? You know, she used some words earlier when she described some of her feelings as she reflects back on what her two brothers were doing to her. She used these words: embarrassing, disgusted, shameful. Now, is this? feelings that the family also then feel when they find out what has been going on under their own roof nobody noticed nobody found out i I know the father's situation has some complexity but i suppose the siblings situation has some complexity too because let's just take the father for a moment he loves this woman his daughter but he loves his sons too um He's the father of them and, and you know, she's she's let us know that he was trying his best with everything. Um but but why is it? What why would you why why when someone in the family speaks does it come with this rejection towards that person? It's so weird. And I'm sixteen years old and and I just blurred out the biggest secret of my life. And now I don't have anyone. And, um, and I remember being alone, sitting in my bunk bed at 16, and just thinking to myself, what did you do? You just ruined your family. Oh, no. Now we're not together. No one's talking to you. You're an idiot. And um, I began to shame myself. I began to blame myself. And uh, I saw... a bottle of, I think they were Advil's on the dresser. And I couldn't swallow pills (laughs) because because of my mom. Like when I was, uh, when I was like five, I ended up getting like a fever or a headache or something. And she was giving me a pill so I can feel better, but I couldn't swallow it. And I would say, Mom, I can't swallow this, you know? And, and she's like, well, I'm going to continue to give you pills until you swallow one. So there I was in the kitchen just taking pills until, but I couldn't, my, like, I couldn't even swallow one, so I kept 
I kept throwing them out. So when I looked at the bottle, I grabbed maybe, I took out 12 pills out and I crushed them. And I just took a bottle of water and down they went. Okay, uh, I just want to apologize here for a moment because, you know, I opened up this podcast saying that I was um, going to create something that's um, encouraging, inspiring, had a, had a flavor of strength to it. And um, that's why I chose this story. And I don't actually want to, uh, um, for this woman who's who's beautifully telling her story, who's who's fantastically telling her story, to think that, you know, I think this has got any kind of smile to it. It's just pure sadness. It's it's, it's complete opposite. I, I was under the impression because I read the comments, and, and you know, we still got some more to go through. So, 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 it's possible she talks about recovery and 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 coming through this. Um, but even though it's not, you know, motivational or inspiring in a way that makes you smile. It's got to be inspiring with the way that she's telling it. And the more people that we can hear tell their stories in these in, in, in these ways that remove shame and remove disgust and remove the embarrassment, those words that she used, which I think are very powerful words, um, the better. Imagine how many people are going to watch this that have been through a similar situation to her. This has got millions of views on YouTube and are going to take something incredible from it. The amount of messages that I receive from people in their 50s, 60s and above telling me that actually they've never told anybody because they've never felt the power to. She is going to help millions of people with this story. And you know what? Actually, I stand corrected. That's inspiration and strength within itself, truly. And I just remember laying on the bed thinking, okay, everybody will be better off now. I won't be here anymore. Oh my goodness. And I won't have to deal with any trauma anymore. I just want to be at peace. And I fell asleep. And a few hours later, I woke up and nothing. <laughs> you know, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you chose the wrong drug. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Why am I still here? Um, but then I, I, uh, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I, I'll never do that again. I said that was that was silly. And um and then we are and then we moved and my siblings were gone and I still I was still the like the black sheep of the family. Uh, and because they're my siblings, I have to hear about them all the time. 
you know, in the beginning, when Christmas would come around, Thanksgiving, any holiday, they would be uh, Skyping them, FaceTiming them. And in the beginning, they would force me to say hi. And, and I would do it. You know, I'd, I'd say hello, I'll pretend like nothing ever happened. And then when I leave, I feel, I just felt so shitty because I felt like everyone else didn't understand the trauma they caused. You know, I was, I was super depressed. I, I still deal with PTSD and massive anxiety because of it. No, no apologies from anyone? Not at all. To this day? Not at all. Not at all. And, um, and then, uh, and then I began to um, skip school more. I was super lost, super, super lost. I, uh, and even because of, because of the trauma, I really didn't know what boundaries were. You know, I, I put myself in a lot of situations that now looking back, I shouldn't have, but because no one taught me boundaries and I was being violated at home, a lot of things that a normal person would say, hey, that's a red flag. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything, you know, like, like, for example, um, I would hang out with uh, this married couple across the street. And I was maybe, I met them when I was 13 until, until I was 16. Uh, and they were in their late 20s, I believe. And they introduced me to weed. And I would smoke weed with them every single day. And I remember looking down at the husband's leg and he had some little like black thing around his ankle. And I'm like, what is that? I've never seen that before. What is that? And, he, and his wife said, oh, he's on house arrest. And I'm like, okay, uh, what is he on house arrest for? And later on, I learned when I got a little older that he was on house arrest for um, raping an underage girl. Wow. And they would do sexual things in front of me. And I didn't notice that they were um, grooming me. Uh, he never touched me, um, but she would always say sexual things around, around me. And then they would have sex in front of me. And then when I turned 18, uh, they asked if I wanted to join them. And... I said no. I'm like I, I was like no. I'm 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 okay. <laughs> you know, you guys have fun. No judgment. <laughs> you know, but but I didn't realize that I put myself in these 
crazy situations because I did I wasn't taught boundaries or I got a job when I was 14 years old and I was getting paid like maybe like five dollars an hour and my boss was in his mid-40s and uh, clearly I got the job because you know my dad couldn't afford much and I just really just needed shoes or needed clothes you know it's not even that I wanted things I I needed them badly, you know? And this man would always look at me when, and I would work on the weekends and he would always look at me and say, you're wearing the wrong panties today. And I would just laugh it off again, clueless, you know? And, and then he comes up to me and goes, do you want to see a picture of my girlfriend? I said, sure. And it's a 14 year old girl. This is wild. This is wild. It's just out of control, isn't it? People are out of control when it comes to sexual things. The the married couple that she talked about, okay, they never, she mentioned they never touched her, but they were having sex in front of her, like when she was under 18 in her country, I'm guessing this is America. Uh, the age of consent is 18. So they were doing something illegal straight away. And that situation is just out of control. Why is she around there smoking weed anyway? What are they doing? Why are they making sexual advances on her verbally even? And then this, now she's telling the story of her boss who's 40, showing her pictures, talking about her panties. Like, it's all sexual. And it's, it's out of control. Like, why, why is it like this? And it's not just this video. It's not just what you see on the news. It's not just what you see on this soft white underbelly channel. It's, it's everywhere because I'm pretty sure uh, you've heard stories by people in your personal life um, who have got stories that are, are, are just chaotic and, and wild and um, in some form illegal or inappropriate or immoral I'm pretty sure that if you spoke to five females in your friendship circles or your family circles you are going to get stories that are where they have been treated inappropriately or approached inappropriately or there's something immoral around sex it's a guarantee and why is this the thing that has been around since the beginning of time and we have got such a loose hold on it uh, we don't want to talk about it we don't want to educate people in schools about it and I'm not just talking I, I am not talking about educating on how to have sex or or educating on masturbation or any of those things that are up for debate on whether we should bring to certain ages, age groups of children. I'm talking about how to treat people, how to respect other people's bodies, how to respect people 
And when these young people get to a certain age, in particular when they start to go through puberty and become interested in sex naturally, how to behave in sexual situations. Because we're all about talking about what happens if somebody does something to you. But we need, I'm now going to say, more focus on what not to do to someone. Because then you prevent the crime completely. If we're only going to talk to young people, let's just take teenagers as an example. If we're only going to talk to them about what to do if somebody does something to you, that's going to give them the tools and the protection to get out of a situation once they've been in it, once the crime has been committed. But if we're going to talk to teenagers about what not to do, in sexual situations, how not to become an offender, what to do if you feel the temptation of offending, what's inappropriate, what's immoral, it may not be illegal, but what's immoral and inappropriate in sexual situations, then we can just prevent the whole thing happening in the first place. I'm very, very interested in hearing the story from her two brothers. Wouldn't it be great to hear what her two brothers have to say about their life story. Because if she was 16, she what did she mention? Was she um, the sixth youngest or sixth oldest? I can't remember. It, she must have been the sixth youngest, actually, if she had two older brothers, because she was uh, of, of um, seven s brothers and sisters. I can't remember the details um, accurately. But they would have been young men or older teenagers when they were doing this to her, right? Well, she was eight years old when it started, so they would have been teenagers, young teenagers when it started. What in their life story led them to there and how could we intervene earlier so they wouldn't have committed that crime against her or turned into somebody that was driven or or tempted or, or drawn to, to doing that? These are the big conversations. These are the massive conversations that that, that I want to have. Oh, I feel so bad for her, man. And then, um, sorry. And then he continues to make, like, inappropriate comments all the time every day when I'm working. And he, I was work. he owned a woman's clothing store. And one day he comes up to me, he goes, how do you like, you know, our clothing? And I said, it's very nice. I like it. You know, it, I love it. I, 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 I like the looks. And he goes, well, why don't you try a few outfits on for me? And you can keep everything you try on. And I, me coming from a place where I don't have anything. I said, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, and then he calls the, sec the mall security guy over. And he's like in his late 40s. And I'm in the fitting room and I'm trying these, uh, I'm trying the clothes on and I open the fitting room door and they're both standing there. Wow. 
and they're asking me to turn around and they're saying all these provocative things to me and they start like touching themselves and I'm just standing there like this is absolutely like it's it's so unfortunate but this was such a normal thing for me and this was such a like it's not a big deal you know like it's not like he's asking me to do something worse because it can be worse and then I uh and then I ended up quitting that job and I never told I never told my dad I never thought to to tell someone about this man And and then I met a guy um, when I was 16, and he we, we started dating each other. And um, then we started having we started having sex, but I didn't want to. And I didn't know that I can say no. So I would do it every time it was asked. Um, and uh, so life kept just going on. And that relationship became really abusive, like uh, verbally abusive. And I was still doing things to please him. Just because I, I, I thought that that's what you were meant, like that's what you're supposed to do. And then it became too verbally abusive that it, it, we dated for five years. It took me like a good year and a half to get out of that relationship. Uh, and um, then I, my depression and my PTSD started to get really bad. Like I would have, um, I would have nightmares every day. Um, I would wake up like <laughs> punching things. Um, and now this is like, as in my early twenties, I would go out and get drunk. Like just, just shit faced. <laughs> And I would black out and I wouldn't remember, remember anything. And uh, 
and I could be, I would have moments where I would be super drunk and, and I would lock myself in the bathroom. Um, because I felt, I guess, I felt like something was coming f for me, I guess. But it was my PTSD. I, I, I felt like this huge um, amount of fear. And I would just be sitting in the bathroom just rocking back and forth crying. Um, and I, I, I was pretty bad for a while. Um, and then one day, uh, I remember waking up and just, just feeling like, okay, what are you doing with yourself? What are, what are you doing with your life? And, and I, because of um, my trauma, when I was skipping school a lot, I dropped out of high school. Because I was, I was so lost. I, I wasn't worried about, you know, science. <laughs> you know, I care less about that, you know. Um, I was trying to survive. You know what? Think about how many teenagers, students, that I'm going to be able to reach as and when schools start taking me more seriously. Imagine if, for example, I could have got in front of this woman when she was 15 and just told my story as I do and in in an inspiring way as I try my best to and then I finish off letting the assembly hall know that everything's going to be okay we're here to help you reach out if you need what's going on with you is not okay what could potentially go on with you in the future as you go on your life is not okay we are here to help you come and speak with us just just that imagine if I could have got in front of this woman when she was 15 and it's possible I could have inspired her in the way that she is inspiring us today. The school bookings are going well. They're one here and there. It's more schools bringing me in to speak with their teachers and staff, which is great. They're treating this as um, uh, training or or, 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 or um, personal development and, and I'm cool with that I want to speak to teachers and staff too um, but there is the odd school that is bringing me in to speak to their students many are still hesitant many many are still hesitant most actually are still hesitant um, 
I plan to change that. I plan for this to be a big year. I plan to, every time I speak at a school, keep posting about it, post pictures about it, post testimonials about it and change that. Um, but, you know, it's it's a lot of hard work and hopefully one day I'll have more bookings than I can handle. That's That's what I want. I want more bookings than there are days in the week because then... I will know that people are taking this seriously. And 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 you think, if I sit in, in a school of a thousand kids, how many I'm going to let know that you can come forward if you wish to? We will support you. We will help you. And I can use my story as an example that everything's going to be okay and this doesn't need to be the end of you. Come on, so powerful. But you need an education to be a successful adult. <laughs> At least that's what we're all told. Uh, and so my education just, I was, the system failed me in that department as well. You know, uh, when my when my parents separated, uh, my mom took me with her for a little while, for maybe like a year, and she never took me to school, like, because she took me and my younger sister, so she used me as her babysitter. And uh, so, because I didn't go to school, I was never taught how to read. And when I went back to, with my dad, uh, I was just getting passed on, you know, from grade to grade to grade. And, and here I am wanting to learn. You know, I, I love learning. And no, no adult at all seeing that, like, you know, hey, this girl doesn't know how to read or write. Maybe we should teach her that because that's my job, you know? And no. I remember, you know, being like 11 and, or, or from seven to like 11, and every birthday, you know, I, people, the adults would tell me, if you make a wish, it'll come true. And there I am in front of the cake every year, closing my eyes and just saying, all I want is to, to know how to read. Because I wanted to progress. Um, and so, Luckily, when in, in eighth grade, uh, a teacher finally noticed that I had a, that problem. Thank God for him. Um, and he saw that other kids in other classes were having that problem, and he took all the other kids out, put us in one class, and and he taught he he taught us the basics, and. Uh, and I still struggle with it, not as much as I used to, thank God. But it definitely 
it made me feel like I couldn't amount to anything. And, and I just, it, it has always made me feel like I'm stuck. And I, and I so desperately want to learn. I so desperately want to be better. My biggest fear is being stagnant. Uh, so when I woke up that day and I asked myself, what are you doing? Like snap out of it, you oh. know? I, I, it was like I was arguing with myself. I'm, I'm like, so you've been through hell and back. So fucking what? Come on. Come on. Come on. Young people have have so much potential. They just need a flash moment like what she's describing or just some encouragement from adults around them. They have so much energy and potential and ability and drive and ambition. They just need to be coached. They just need to be told. They just need to be encouraged. They just need to be shown. Or... They need to be fortunate enough to have a flash moment like this, you know. What did she just say? I've been, I've been through hell and back. So what? Come on. I just, I just want, like, I just want these kids to feel empowered. I just want them to feel empowered. I just want them to feel confident. I just want them to feel strong through whatever they're going through at home. To let them know. That's not going to be the end of them. Come on. You're, so, so your parents failed you, so what? Come on. So the school system failed you, so what? <clears throat> You're 21 years old now. Do something about it. Or do you want to be... Do you want like 20 years, 30 years from now to still be waking up feeling the same fucking way? Okay, now we get the empowerment in the story. Now I'm feeling like, oh, I'm feeling like so uh, hyped up right now. Now we get the empowerment in the story. Now we get what all those comments that I read before start, I started reviewing this video were talking about. Now we get the encouragement. Now we see the, the, the turn in the story. Now we see somebody who has explained their story so powerfully, explained the hurt, explained the sorrow. And now they're, they're like, you know what? Yeah, that shit happened to me. So what? I'm going to get myself up. I'm going to brush myself off and I'm going to move forward and progress. This is what this is what I love. This is why I created the Something to Say organization. This is why I put a lot of work into that. That is why the team of people that are helping me are so passionate about this because this is the kind of vibe that I want to create. This is the kind of vibe that I want to create because I don't think people who have been through shit in their childhood have been told. I really don't. I really don't think they've been told or shown and, 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 and I want something to say to change that. Come on. And uh, I reached out to a, a therapist 
and I got I got therapy and and I remember the first day she said what do you want to accomplish with this therapy and I said I really don't have the answer right now all I know is that there's a wall in front of me that's blocking me from living my life and I'm ready to kick this motherfucker down. Yes. Yes. And I began the therapy and therapy is life. I cannot say that enough. It saved my life. That woman is amazing. Shout out to all the therapists out there. Shout out to anybody who's helping anyone in this way. And I learned boundaries. Huh. <laughs> Finally. Huh. <laughs> and I learned how to fight for myself. And... And... Uh, most importantly... I learned that I was not the problem. Right, right. It wasn't my fault. Come on. I shouldn't carry any shame. Come on. And then uh, fast forward some years later, I think I was 27, and now I know how crazy this is going to sound. Whether it was a dream or it actually happened, I don't care, I'll take it. I was sleeping and uh, I felt like I woke up, but I couldn't open my eyes. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when you're sitting in the back seat of a car and you're sitting next to the window and you close your eyes and you just feel the warmth of the sun and you can see your, like your red eyelids, you know? Well, I, I was sleeping and that's exactly what I was feeling. And I just felt this warmth cover my body and this silence. And then this pure feeling of peace. Just no worry, no anxiety, no, no hate, no violence, just pure peace. And then I remember hearing my voice, but it didn't feel like it was me. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> But it said to me, Mari, you've had enough. Mari, it's okay to let go now. It's okay to move on. Oh my goodness. I just can't believe it. 
it's like if you're watching this on YouTube and you're seeing her body language and her facial expression, it's like she is releasing it now. It's like she's been through it. She's come to terms with it. She's accepted that this is part of her life story. And it's almost like she's now releasing it into the into the atmosphere. Because as she said, it's not hers to carry. It's not her shame to bear. And she realised this. And now it no longer needs to live inside of her. It feels like such a moment. And it's quite clearly in this video, again, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's quite clearly a moment for her, even when she's telling the story again. I'm so pleased for her. Like, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so pleased for her. Come on. It's time to forgive. And I opened my eyes and I just started crying. I cried for like an hour. But I cried with so much joy. Amazing. And I, uh, at the end of that week, I, I wrote two letters. For my siblings. Oh, wow. And I forgave them. I expressed all the pain that they caused. I expressed that I had no depression and PTSD and anxiety. They're like my friends at this point. But I also expressed that you don't define me. Come on. And I forgive you. And I no longer carry that hurt or that pain. And that from that moment forward, I will start living for myself. You know, I heard uh, Maya Angelou once said, love liberates. And I want to love myself each and every single day so I can liberate myself from all this trauma.
so I can have the ability to break these generational chains of don't ask, don't tell, and walk through life with a purpose. Wow. Because the only person that is stopping me from doing that is me. Come on. So you better watch out. Yes. <laughs> Marisol, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. It's powerful. Thank you. Okay. Spoke so beautifully, so beautifully. I mean, it's like, oh my god. I think it might be. Okay. Oh my goodness! Did you hear her cry at the end? For those that are listening on your podcast app, the interview finished. She stood up, and Mark came over. Mark is the guy that runs the YouTube channel, and and they embraced each other, and she released again. She's like she released it. She actually. Like she released it. It's, it's like we could see how she released that on camera. We actually witnessed it. We actually saw her say the words. And it, it's like if you could do like CGI, it's like it came, it, it like came out of her, like out of her heart. It's like it came out of her heart. Imagine how many people are going to see that and think, yeah, I can do the same. How, how cool was it when her story started? Like, what did she say about kicking the doors down? And, and you know, if, if this is going to work, it's up to me. It's like the story took a turn, didn't it? After we heard the sadness and the sorrow, it, it just took that turn. It, it was like somebody taking their power back. Somebody, somebody removing all of that, all of that crap that they've been carrying around with them, and to show everyone that there's a way forward, that is is light, not dark, and we can all walk it. We can walk it together. You can also walk it alone, but there's a path there. And actually, you know what? Many have trodden it before, and I'm not just talking to the people who have suffered this experience in their childhood. I'm also talking to the parents too of the children who have been sexually abused because I know that you carry that pain too. I know that this is a horrific life for you too. I know that you are a victim too. There are many parents on my pages that write to me who have found out that their children had been or have been sexually abused. There's a path for you too. 
You're never going to shift it completely. It's always going to be something that challenges you. It's always, in some respects, something you're going to be carrying around. You can't completely erase the life tragedies that you've been through or going through. I'm not saying that you can wipe the slate completely clean, but there's a path to be trod. There's a path to be walked along, and people have trodden it in the past because it's possible. Somebody explained it using this analogy. Every time something shitty happens in your life, if you think about you being a piece of clean and smooth paper, every time something shitty happens in your life, it crumples it in an area of it. And then another thing happens and it and it folds it and it crumples it and it keeps crumpling it and keeps crumpling it. And I don't know where you are at with that piece of paper. Maybe you're actually a scrunched up ball. But we can unravel that piece of paper. And the creases are never going to disappear. It's never going to return back to that smooth piece of paper again. But we can unravel it and be a flat piece of paper because we don't have to carry this pain forever. We can release it. We can move forward and we can work towards some kind of peace for ourselves. But for those that want to, we can also work towards this not happening to future generations and inspire people that are going through this, that there is a way forward. Just like this story has beautifully done for us today, so powerfully done for us today, I feel on a high. I'm so, so pleased about that. As I open this podcast with saying that my previous podcast titled has Team Porn taken it too far, left me feeling low and exhausted for some days afterwards. But this has motivated me and given me a lift and I'm really pleased with that. And I hope you feel it too. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you for joining me on this journey and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Okay, so I wonder how you're feeling now that you've got to the end of that podcast. I hope you feel as empowered and kind of like on a buzz as I do. How incredible it was. She spoke about the sadness and the sorrow, but then she also talked about a way forward, a way forward of inspiration that we can all take with our stories. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, as I spoke about at the start of this podcast, we are struggling a little bit financially in the next coming months with this Something to Say organization that I run. So please do hit us up at something to say official.com or jeremyindica.com to support and please share this podcast around if it made you smile or if you found it interesting and engaging in any way empowering all of those things share it with a friend share it with a family member we are relying on word of mouth to get this content out there hope to see you again soon thank you so much <laughs>